inflation rate in the European Union for the past year was announced also this this week, 10.7%. Ours is up five, a little over 5%. Theirs is up at 10.7. United Kingdom is up 10.7 and rising. Uh, we have literally half the inflation problem that they have in Europe right now. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. Together we are bald, and that is the end of our open. Did we get our names together this time? We did. Very well. Ah, cool. Yeah. Um, we're going to, in a um, overly hyped and... Uh, generally um, radio voice manner, talk to you about economics today. Actually, it's going to take too much energy to do that. So with the price of energy the way it is, we're going to lower our energy take and just talk in normal voices instead of radio voices, except for occasionally to make a point. Cool. Like anytime we say Sunday, we'll say it three times in a very deep voice. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Right. And if we can include monster trucks somewhere in the sentence, it will make our economics dream come true. We can just say it very simply. Sunday, 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 monster trucks. There we go. Now we've said it. Uh, so the personal wealth coach has some disclosures to make. The two of us here, uh, no, da, da, not, da, we're da, not taking da, clothes da, off. Da, we're disclothing. It's more like we're oh, disrespecting okay. clothes. Um, so oh. we should talk negatively about people having their pants around their ankle uh, or necks yes or necks shameful um yes or socks around their ankles wait no that's where socks go never mind right um the personal wealth coach the two principals of the personal wealth coach uh jeff and jake mcclure are also the co-hosts of this program called the personal wealth coach and it sounds like i'm being repetitive and redundant Except that the personal wealth coach is also the personal wealth coach when it's not a radio program. Dun, dun, dun. It is an SEC-registered investment advisory firm offering fiduciary investment advice uh, and portfolio management. However, just because it is SEC-registered doesn't mean that the SEC particularly cares one way or another about the personal wealth coach in its radio format or its firm format, the SEC doesn't care. If you go looking for approval from a governmental agency, do not expect your daddy issues to be met there. Now, I have daddy issues and that older Baldy here is my daddy and younger Baldy is his son. So that's me. Um, so you have you have a an astonishingly quantitative grip on the obvious. Well, Einstein relativity, all that good stuff comes in oh, okay. to play very quickly in in our relationship. So uh, as well as being registered registered with the SEC, not giving any approval issues for us, we also can't give you fiduciary advice on the air. It's kind of against all the rules. We're not being private. We're uh, we can give you education. Um, so we're going to have an educational radio program. And in during this program, we're going to talk about information. Would you like to talk about the information that we're about to talk about and how we obtain it? You always <laughs> let me do this one. 
I do because you you throw little tantrums if I don't. It's it's horrible. No, I don't. No, I don't. See, see, there you you don't have to get defensive about it. I I love that. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. We do we do offer warranties and guarantees as to the incompleteness of unsaid information. Mm. Right. Listen, listen it, to this next unsaid sentence and see how complete it is. You see? Right. It was just empty. And mm-hmm. we guarantee that it was incomplete. Uh, we do not pay for this radio program. It is free of charge. But they don't pay us either, which makes us very strange volunteers that have been doing this for, what, 25 years? 25 years of a radio program of unpaid Saturday mornings. Uh, we do advertise on the station for the radio program in partnership with the studio who also advertises for the radio program. And we've been doing this for, let's see, 1996 was when you so, started. Right. This is, it's 22 plus four. Can you get that? 22 plus. So at least 47. Wait, no, that's not how math works. Yes. We've been doing this a long time. So long. We can't remember it. Over a quarter century. Yes. And it spans uh, the measuring point of centuries and millennium, a millennium, not millennia. All right. So mm-hmm. what happened this week in the market? Well, the market bobbed around a lot this week, uh, doing its usual thing that it's been doing. It really didn't do anything particularly differently. There was an announcement this week by the chairman of the federal reserve that seemed well, when they first, when it first, when the federal reserve first announced that they were going to raise interest rates, uh, three quarters of a percent, which is about the same time that the uh, Labor Department said that there were more people working and more people spending money and a lot of interesting things going on. The market went up and then people started looking a little more carefully and then came the news conference at which time Chairman Powell said, we all stop worrying about how fast we're going to raise rates and focus on the fact that we're going to raise rates and think about the fact that we're going to raise them and they're probably going to be higher than you think. And they're probably going to last longer than you think. And guess what? Stocks went down. So by the end of the week, the S&P 500 stock index was down 3.35% to 3770.55. Now, Even though Friday was significantly up. Yes. The week was down. Yes. Um, but then in perspective, and, and I like to have a longer term perspective, the if you look back three years, and, and that is the, in my opinion, the absolute minimum that an investor should be looking at is three years, and, and even three years is too short. But if you look back three years, the S&P 500 is up 26%. Now, that's an average rate of return over that period compounded of about 8% a year. Um, it is down 21.33% from its high point in January. It's up five and a quarter percent from its bottom. Very importantly, for those of you who have really long memories and can remember all the way back to 2020, which was two and a half years ago, March of 2020, when last time we had a bear market, um, it is up 69% from where it was in March of 2020, which tells you something about the markets that I think people tend to overlook because of the daily barrage of information. Investing in equities or anything else that's a true investment is long-term. There is no such thing as a short-term investment. That's speculation. And long-term, by any definition of long-term, the market is up substantially. Short-term, meaning this year, 
it is down substantially. So the market is both up and down at the same time, and it totally depends upon your perspective. So that's where the market is. The We also follow the CRSP U.S. mid-cap value index. We're value investors, and we kind of like that, and we like mid-cap. It declined 0.68% for the week. It dropped to 2305.34. It is down just over 11% from its high at the beginning of the year. Now, compare that to the S&P 500, which is down 2133 and you have an interesting little data point correlation there. Um, and then there was another thing that happened, which further confuses the issue, and that is as of the end of October, which ended this week, uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 14% for the month of October. Now, why is that important? It is literally the best monthly performance of the Dow Jones Industrial Average in any month since 1976. Nobody gave it an award or anything. I didn't even see that listed in any, not a single headline did I see that talked about breaking a record on the upper end because we're in the doldrums at this. This is when you see the big record breaking on the upper end, by the way, at the depths of a bear market. Uh, is this all very confusing? Absolutely. It is. Yeah. If you try to look at it from, from different perspectives, perspectives, at the same time, your eyes get crossed. can be very, very confusing. If you're a long-term investor and you're looking at it three, five, and 10 years out in the past, the market is doing very nicely. It's, it's the average return over the last three years is slightly higher than the average return since 1926 in the stock market. And yet everybody, not everybody, but most people feel like it is down. Well, it is in a sense down, but in another sense, it's behaving very normally and very rationally. And we're just churning along and doing our thing. Um, 10-year U.S. Treasury note did do something interesting. It, it rose to 4.17%, which sounds like a, it, it sounds like a lot because it is a lot because that is a heck of a rise since the beginning of the year. It's a heck of a rise since a year ago. Um, so interest rates are short-term interest rates particularly, which like the two-year note is yielding 4.66. Um, and some of the shorter maturities than that are up even higher. Short-term interest rates have risen dramatically this year. And if you're invested in short-term bonds, you've seen the value of short-term bonds fall as a result. You're also seeing the yield start up. Uh, This is something that the Federal Reserve chairman said was going to continue. And for some time, he basically warned anybody who wants to listen, the suggestion and the the analysis, analyses that I read and the consensus out there is we're probably going to go above 5%, maybe five up to 5.25.25% for short-term rates. That's a dramatic change from where things were at the beginning of this year. That is, one, that is as a matter of fact, it is the fastest rise in short-term rates that I have been able to find looking all the way back, including during Paul Volcker's, Volcker's yeah, reign. Yeah, it is. By, uh, it isn't. Uh, during Paul Volcker, it went up close to that speed, but it started at a higher level, so it was it had less of an impact. So you add mm-hmm. all of that together, any way you measure it, the speed at which the interest rates have gone up is unprecedented. Right. And it's important to note here that this week, the European Union also raised their rates three-quarters of a percent, and the Bank of England raised their rates three-quarters of a percent. The difference between here and there is we had the PCE come out, which is the uh, index that the Fed, the core PCE, the personal consumption expenditures 
cost index, which is the their definition of, of inflation. It's a slightly better definition. Right. When we when we talk about hey, um, prices are coming back down on automobiles and prices are coming down on cars, people go, "Well, I'm still experiencing inflation." PCE captures that better. Mm-hmm. And the, the PCE basically doesn't look at a fixed, as they call, it, basket of stuff. Uh, it says what are people actually spending money on, and it gets little press because it comes out so far after the CPI. But it is up about 5% over the last, the core PC is up about 5% over the last year. The Fed is shooting for two, which means they got a long ways to go. But here's the point I wanted to make. Even if you take the PCE, which is measured very much the way inflation is measured in Europe and in in Great Britain, our CPI is weird compared with theirs. The inflation rate in the European Union for the past year was announced also this this week. 10.7%. 10.7%. Ours is up five, a little over 5%. Theirs is up at 10.7. United Kingdom is up 10.7 and rising. Uh, we have literally half the inflation problem that they have in Europe right now. And, and we can point at that the, and say, the United States is somehow better. No, it's not well, that. It's just that we have sources for our own natural gas and gasoline and we are you know when when we talked about this at the beginning of the year february ish when russia was invading ukraine and we talked about how we should expect prices to go up across grains and across energy and that's going to spread to other sectors but it'll affect the united states less than it does europe because when you talk about the top 3 suppliers of the world or to the world of grain and the whole series of corns it was Russia, Ukraine, and the United States. Well, now the number one is the United States, no doubt, because Russia and Ukraine have had a lot of difficulty putting that stuff out there. We have a source of natural gas and energy in the United States. We're energy independent. We do still import stuff, but we export stuff too. So net, we're energy independent. Having said all that, you can blame it on presidents if you want. If it makes you feel better, you could and can. It's always your prerogative to blame things on presidents. And if you're a Democrat, you're welcome to blame President Trump. If you're a Republican, you are welcome to blame President Biden. And I know a lot of people, when I say this, they get a little bit miffed. Like me saying you're welcome to do it means it's not really worth blaming the person. It's really their fault. Except the reality is that it's like steering the Titanic. The president can move the steering wheel, but the delay in the effect of moving the steering wheel is extremely long. So it's generally not within their own administration that the effects of their movements occur. There. And now back to the market. Well, we also report on West Texas Intermediate Crude, WTI, and it rose 5% during the week. Um, it's driven, the, the rise was driven by several things. One of the principal things that drove it was Russia's, Russia is still exporting oil, just not to the United States or Western Europe. And it threatened to stop exporting oil because, um, the United States and the European Union have agreed on putting a cap on the price of Russian oil and not paying any more than that for it. And how they're going to enforce that, I don't know, but the Russians are very, peaked about that and said we enjoy the high price of oil 
and they and the Saudis are enjoying the high price of oil and they have agreements to try to keep the price of oil up and we start trying to cap it. Another thing that happened is we stopped releasing oil from the strategic reserve. So the price of oil went up in essence. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts in the in the oil industry right now and the price is going up and you can expect to see the price of petroleum at the pump go up in the near future as a result of the fact that the price of oil is going up. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, that so is that it for the markets? The only other, there's a lot of wild cards out there right now. Europe is slip, slink, sinking into recession. Yeah. China's likely China, sinking into recession as well. It's hard to tell, but it looks like it. China's property market is the biggest chunk of their country's economy right now. Yeah. And it is looking more and more like it's about to collapse. Yeah. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of weird stuff going on out there. Um, and any one of the weirdnesses could complicate things. This is not, these are not normal times. And, uh, but the good news is when we look at the cost of stocks, uh, and then there's about three ways of looking at the cost of the, the broad stock market. It is very reasonable and certainly lower than it has been recently. Um, the, the good news from that is it seems to have found a bottom area, which it's in, and have a great deal of difficulty sliding through it. And there's apparently a lot of cash on the sidelines that if it gets much lower than it is right now, we'll go in and start buying stocks again, which is one of the indicators you get when you get near the bottom of a bear market. Now, does that mean this is the bottom? No, because there's so much that could happen. But going forward, it's interesting to note that earnings for the third quarter as they have come in have run sub substantially higher. More companies are exceeding estimates than we have seen normally in history, which means companies are still doing very well. And we'll get into that. I'm getting away from the market here. There's a lot going on in the economy right now and huge conflict. The biggest single thing that I want to say about the markets at this point, whenever good news comes out in the economy, the markets go down. Right. And there's a lot of good news in the economy right now, which has become bad news if you're an investor. And if you understand that thoroughly, then you probably need a Nobel Prize. Well, I mean, you can understand it without a Nobel Prize. Good news for the economy probably means more inflation, which means that the Federal Reserve is going to view it as bad news and raise interest rates, which is bad news for the market there. All right. How's okay. that for... So Good news is bad news, and bad news is bad news. Yes. Actually, some bad news would be good news at this point. Correct. The market but would likely go up if we saw a big uptick in unemployment or a lot of layoffs. We would probably see the market go up. Which takes us right on to the next subject. Yeah. Uh, what is the next subject? Oh, yeah. Did, did I, just, that I just stumbled into a segue? Which is very the, dangerous if you're not careful. Those is, things can roll out from underneath your feet. Employers added, and this is seasonally adjusted, which may or may not make any difference to you, 261,000 jobs in October. That's net. In other words, you take the total jobs added minus the people who were laid off and you get 261,000 jobs, which is a lot more than we need to maintain a steady state economy. And right at like, the same time, we added that many new jobs and the unemployment rate went up. Because more people were joining the workforce. Correct. We created more jobs, but more people joined the workforce to get the jobs that were being created. And the number of open jobs unfilled went up. Um, the 
both the Commerce Department and the Labor Department are reporting on some interesting things. The cost of employment, which basically wages and pensions and everything else that goes into having an employee went up 5% over the last year that came out. And that is not good because the Federal Reserve says if people are getting paid 5% more and there's not that much extra work being done, and there's not, we may have a problem here and it's called inflation. Inflation probably is going to run about 5% of people getting paid 5%. If if 5% more money is available to be spent in the economy and being spent. For no additional items, they're they're creating the same number of items. Productivity has not gone up with this. This is just, we're trying to maintain and charging, paying more for and charging more for the items. That's kind of the definition of inflation. Actually, the productivity did come out for the last 12 months, and it's like zero point something percent, not much, not much rise in productivity. So the bottom line to it is there's a lot of people being hired who are getting paid a lot of extra money. Why are they getting paid a lot of extra money? Because there's a hard, huge demand in the services industry to hire people. And when you have a high demand and a low supply, a shortage of people to work and a great demand for people to be hired, the prices go up. We call those wages, which gives people more money to spend, which means they tend to spend it, which makes prices go up. And that's what the Fed is trying to break. What do you have? Well, we actually hit, we've hit a lot of it. One of the things that is, there's, let me come back to something that we talked about last hour, but I think is important to understand. There are a couple of forces going on in the economy. First, our economy is going very, very well. Now, when I say it's going very, very well, it's running along very nicely. It is. Uh, matter of fact, that we had a PMI come out of purchasing, managing, invent, the Institute for Supply Management, the ISM, purchasing managers index for non-manufacturing. It's a mouthful. Basically, it's the services side of the economy, which is the largest part. The the manufacturing side is relatively small in the United States, and the services side is huge. And it came in at over 54%. Or 54, the number. So the 50 is, anything above 50 is growth. Yeah, it's normally reported as a number, but it's actually a percent on on the chart. Uh, so it's, it came in over 54, 55 is about as fast as our economy can run over in in any area over an extended period of time. They simply don't have the capacity to run higher than 55. So the fact that the services side of the economy, the largest part of our economy is running along about as fast as it can run. It's a good thing. It is a powerful thing. And if you tried to go to a restaurant recently and realize that they don't have enough waiters, or if you've tried to call some service in some place in the United States, based in the United States and say, I need to talk to somebody about something. You're probably having trouble getting a hold of somebody. And when you get somebody, they're probably not very well qualified because we have more jobs available and more need for people in the services industry and the services, everything. than we have people to fill the jobs. So our economy is roaring along very nicely. Unfortunately, The fact that it's roaring along very nicely, generating money very nicely, is generating a lot of money in people's pockets because we have very, very low unemployment. We have a lot of people employed, and their wages are very, very good, historically speaking, right now. But we have a constraint in supply from China and from Russia, right? And people have continually questioned me. We don't 
use oil from Russia. No, but the world uses oil from Russia. And if you cut Russia's oil out of the system, the price of the demand for oil that previously came from Russia has to be somewhere. And so American oil producers are selling their oil overseas. It's it's a global market. Uh, it's a little more expensive. The Brent, the European price is a little more expensive than the U.S. price because we have to get it there, which makes it more expensive. Meanwhile, China is still doing lockdowns, which reduces supply. So we've got these two things going. We've got inflation. We've got this really healthy economy that's roaring along that normally would make us very, very happy. But we have a restriction in supply out there that's causing prices to go up. The Federal Reserve is busy trying to restrict demand. What does that mean? That means a reduction in money going into people's pockets during the next two years. What do we call that when we see a reduction in money being spent in the economy? We call that a recession. Yeah. So we're very, very likely to get a recession. What does that mean to you as an individual? If I can go on on this, there's a couple of points. Yeah. Mortgage interest rates right now are running at about 175% of the Fed's short-term rate. They run historically between 125 and 175. They're running 175 right now because they're in anticipation of the Fed continuing to raise rates. If the Fed raises rates to five and a quarter percent, which is what the consensus is right now, mortgage interest rates will be in the upper nine percent range at the current relationship. Let me say that again. Upper nine percent for 30-year fixed mortgages. What is that going to do to the price of houses? It's going to force them down. There's at least a They're, downward pressure. Ab yeah. And house I I I can say with there's a very high probability that these delightfully high valuations you're seeing from Zillow or whatever on your house will be lower over the next couple of years. Just get ready for it. Uh, would, you, would that be a good time to buy a house? Probably not because interest rates will be high and mortgage rates will be tremendously high. So your house payment will be astronomical, which is why the price of houses will come down. What else is going to go on? We're, I would say there's a very high probability at this point we're going to have a recession either in 2023 or 2024. Maybe both. What does that mean to you in a practical sense? Well, if you lose your job, it'll mean a lot. If you don't lose your job, and the and, and thing is, you may not lose your job because, again, we have a lot more job openings than we have people to fill them. If we can get the job openings down without a lot of people losing their jobs, we'll probably do very, very well. But the layoffs are starting. I know they're not showing up. If you don't believe it, just look what happened at Twitter. Uh, admittedly, that may be a, an odd thing, but it's also happening at Apple and other places as they stop hiring people. That's what the immediate future holds. What happens beyond that? Folks, we are the healthiest economy, the deepest running economy, the most successful economy in the world, which means as we come out of this thing, we will have a head start on the rest of the world. This is from an investor's point of view, in Jeff McClure's opinion, I'm not calling the bottom of the market. I am saying this is an excellent time. This is the time when other people are selling and John Templeton would say, you should buy. Yeah, You should be well diversified. You should be very careful about it and recognize this is not money that you can put in and yank out with a profit in the near future. But we are very optimistic about the future. Uh, if you'd like to talk to us uh, either on the air or off the air, we've got email waiting, jeff at tpwc.com and jake at tpwc.com. You go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com, tpwc.com. You can find our podcasts, our radio program. You can uh, read our newsletter and sign up for it. You can contact us through that contact form. You can find our podcasts anywhere that podcasts are found.
because they like to hang out together, I guess. Um, in the meantime, thank you very much for listening. This is generally the longest period of time father and son here, Jeff and Jake, get to talk to each other. So until next hour, thanks for listening. This has been The Personal Wealth Guy.